This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist, a podcaster, and an entrepreneur. I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm speaking to Peter Wagstaff, or Wags as he's commonly known. Now, Wags was one of my university lecturers. Um, He teaches marketing, and he's one of the best educators that I've ever had the privilege of knowing. And today, we talk about some pretty controversial topics, like how and why the tertiary education system is broken, what we can actually do about that, and the big question, are we actually preparing students for the workplace? So, let's go talk to him. So, who are you and what do you do? My name is Peter Wagstaff. You can call me Wags. I'm a lecturer at Monash University. Not a fan of the uh, that title, lecturer, um, so I prefer to call myself an educator, but I'm also a bit of a geek, and uh, I think that will uh, shine through in our discussion today. Okay. Yeah. So, that's a really good starting point. Why, why don't you like the term lecturer? I think it gets back to the origins of that word lecture, and which it's a, an old Latin word, which means to read. Mm-hmm. And I think as an educator in 2017, in fact, as an educator for the last 20 years, and it's, it's actually almost been that long that I've been in this, in this role, um, I've really struggled with the, um, the traditional way of, of universities educating. The old model, the lecture, tutorial, textbook model, which has existed for centuries, even back beyond the, the invention of the printing press before mm-hmm. textbooks, the, the old lecture model mm-hmm. has existed for almost a thousand years now. And, and I think universities are stuck in this, in this really old fashioned way of, of educating, uh, which has to change. I mean, technology is, is forcing that change, uh, expectations of students and the world we live in. It's, mm-hmm. we can't keep doing it the way we've been doing it for the last thousand years. Yeah, and we see that time and time again with not just education, but plenty of industries. The industries that try to hang on to their roots for too long end up getting surpassed by something else. Mm. We see it with the taxi industry and Uber, and there's plenty more examples where, where that came from. So, yeah, um, Industries that have done the same thing for, for many years, mm-hmm. but pace of change now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you die if you don't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really why I wanted to talk to you today. Um, you uh, were a educator of mine uh, many years ago, um, and I actually, in, in fact, remember uh, listening to the the Monash Marketing podcast uh, many years ago when I was uh, a student myself at Monash, and that's really what inspired me to get involved in um, marketing, in podcasting, and in fact, I've said to many people over the years that I actually think. I learned more about marketing from podcasts mm-hmm. than I did from my four-year university degree, which cost me, you know, many thousands of dollars. And um, I think it was just that real-world knowledge and, and tapping into things that were happening at the time and, and technology and uh, and the listening to the, the tools and and, um, and strategies that brands were using in, in real life and kind of... Think about how it was applied rather than reading it out of a textbook. So, 
that's what I really enjoyed. And the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because you kind of inspired me um, in the very beginning and, and I wanted to kind of bring it full circle and, and mm. get you on my show um, Great. And, and so we can explore some of these topics. Mm. Interesting that you just said that you feel as though you learned a lot more about marketing from things other than your course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the expectations that students have about a course they enroll in often maybe we need to change those expectations because really what is a university course all about? I don't think it's a necessarily a, a training ground for you to learn a set of skills. Um, there's a bit of that in there, but I think it's the other things that you develop in your, in your time in a course mm-hmm. um, that are important, probably equally or even more important than, than how to do marketing. That's that's fascinating. So, <laughs> I might start here then, Wags. What is the purpose of higher education? Yeah, and that's that is a really big question. Um, <laughs> well, you've come to the right place. To <laughs> <talk>. <laughs> um, higher education. Let's let's separate higher education into universities and and more of the the TAFEs and the the hands-on, yeah, because I think universities are actually quite different Mm -hmm. to more of those sort of practical polytechnics or or TAFE colleges. Sure. Um, University is about developing a whole series of skills, competencies, knowledge. I'm going to extend even further to attitudes and ways of doing things. Um, So, sure, in any university course there's a series of Theories and methodologies and frameworks that, that form part of that. But it's, it's the process that you go through as a student of, of the discipline of understanding those theories, frameworks, methodologies, applying them. So there is some application there. And those other softer skills surrounding those. So problem solving, communication, um, the networks that you develop with others through that process. Mm-hmm that I think we often undervalue in a university course. I think they're as important, if not more important, and becoming more important than the the frameworks. I mean, we've, we've all got a, a computer in our pockets that if you ask the right question, we'll give you that framework instantly on your screen. You don't need to remember that anymore. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting because I came into this conversation thinking that... Uh, universities were almost pointless and and uh and and obsolete um i don't feel like i really use much of the knowledge that i that i gained um in terms of frameworks and theoretical you know um, marketing knowledge i've heard you say that on a previous podcast yeah (laughs) we're talking about this before we started recording so um i think i was quite i think you've got the quote there written down it's it's something along the lines of um i i've never Never, never literally used the word never. never three times. Okay. <laughs> literally never used um, any theoretical knowledge that I'd learned uh, at, at university in my real world job. Now, um, for the listeners, that was on episode four with Lee Price. So go back and listen to it. <laughs> Hold me accountable for what's about to come in the next 10 minutes. So, what's, how do you respond to that? Well, I, I would suggest that you actually 
probably have used many of those frameworks and theories and, um, and so on many times without even realising. I mean, would you be the person you are today if you hadn't gone through those three, four years of, of your university course? Absolutely not. What did you learn? I mean, that's the... <laughs> well, see, and that's a great question. And that's kind of what I was alluding to before when I was kind of going down the path of... Uh, I came into this conversation thinking, thinking that universities were obsolete. From the standpoint of um, understanding theoretical knowledge and reading journal articles mm-hmm. and and um, and that kind of thing. Your question before about would I be the same person I am today if I hadn't come to university? Well, of course I wouldn't. And and I I gained an enormous amount from university, but I don't think it was in terms of knowledge. No, of, of course it's of, not the content. No. The, the content was, I didn't use any of the content, and that's kind of what I'm well, referring to. Well, you do. To. I mean, you, we've just listened to your intro where you describe yourself as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Okay, and entrepreneurs are always looking for opportunities. And, um, I mean, how do you assess what is a good opportunity and what's not a good opportunity? You're actually going to be using those frameworks that you actually studied, probably without knowing it. Let's go back to Porter's Five Forces, for example. Do you remember I, that model? I remember Porter's Five Forces, but I have not <laughs> used it before. This is what I'm saying. I, I, I don't bet use you it. have. I bet you have, because Porter, Michael Porter actually says that Porter's Five Forces is all about assessing how attractive an industry might be. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and the elements that are considered there are things such as the level of competition, okay, the extent to which there's substitutes available. These are all the things that, through going through this formal education process, even if you don't actually sit there and say, right, I'm now going to apply Porter's Five Forces to this assessment of whether I, I head down this pathway with my life and my career. However, subconsciously, you're actually doing it. And I think education actually is this change in attitude, this change in the way you think and solve problems, rather than remembering, here's the list of five things that Michael Porter says I have to remember. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that education is valueless. Um, I'm just, I guess, uh, I guess I'm saying that the content of what I learned, I don't remember. I don't frequently use. In fact, well, you I don't need to. And, and well, exactly, right? Yeah. And, and I think the way that university is positioned and the way we assess people, and we'll get into all this as well, you know, things like examinations. You have to remember Porter's Five Forces and a bunch of other shit yep. that you have to regurgitate over a two-hour period and then never think of again, mm. right? We don't need to do that in life because you can look up the resource that you need. So, I agree with you that um, university is great in teaching people a, a mindset and mm-hmm. how to solve problems and, and that sort of thing. But um, I think the content of, of and, and maybe you're right, where at the start of this conversation you said um, that university is, is more than just the content mm-hmm. um, and maybe we're positioning it wrong. And maybe that's, maybe that's kind of the, the real problem here. Oh, I think it is. And it's, it's at multiple levels. I think we set expectations that you can come to a certain university and this is any course. I mean, I, I teach marketing, but any course, uh, universities will put themselves up as being the experts. You'll be learning from the world's top thinkers in this area. They'll, they'll share their knowledge with you. And I don't think education's like that. Education's not about you sitting there and absorbing knowledge from some expert. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never put myself up to be an expert in any of the stuff that I teach. Um, I, I see my role more as a facilitator, and I think universities have to actually make that shift, mm-hmm. recognising that, yeah, the world's knowledge is now in everyone's pocket. 
we don't need to have people remember that stuff. That rote learning is is history. That's what uh, what the University of Bologna, Bologna did back in 1088 when they were formed. Yeah. Um, instead, it's it's now a matter of education being so much more than just remembering stuff. And you're right, there are still so many problems. So many universities they still use the the lecture tutorial textbook system, mm-hmm. which is severely flawed. So how did we get to this point? I think that's maybe a good point to explore, given that we kind of agree that this is maybe a bit of a broken system. How do we end up here? I think it goes right back to how we started here. And universities are huge bureaucracies. We were talking before we we hit the record button today about um, the frustrations of working in bureaucracies versus small startups and so on. Mm -hmm. Bureaucracies have rules and policies and they're big, slow-moving things. And... uh, when you've been doing the same thing for centuries, change takes a long time mm-hmm. to shift. And, and quite literally, we're not keeping up with the, the shifts that are happening in technology, in society. Uh, students as consumers are different to the way they were even just a decade ago. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I spoke earlier about I don't like the, the title lecturer, even though my, on my business card it says I'm a lecturer, but... Mm-hmm. But that word lecture, from Latin to read, back a thousand years ago when university started, it was before the invention of the printing press. Mm -hmm. Um, So the only way people could get knowledge (laughs) was to sit there in a large lecture hall and have someone read to them. Mm -hmm. And they madly scribbled notes, and that was that transfer of knowledge from from the reader to the, the recipient, the student. And... Gee, it was, what, 400 years before the printing press was invented after university started, and that 400 years, is that's a solid foundation that is really difficult to shift. Mm-hmm. So we still have lecture theatres and lecterns where, yep. where some of the old school educators <laughs> will still read. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's history that's, that's the reason that we have this situation. But I think there's, there's also another problem, and that is... The students coming into universities so often have an expectation that learning is about that same thing, about rote learning and memorising mm-hmm. things. Our secondary school system is, is still all about this is what you have to do to get a maximum, maximise your mark on the exam at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Year 12 in Australia, the VCE, HSE system is, yep. is all about studying to maximise your mark on the exam. Mm-hmm. Which in turn gives you a good ATAR score, which in turn gets you into a good university yep. where you learn about a particular um, field, mm-hmm. which in turn gets you a good job. That's the the kind of process that we're taught, right? Exactly. Uh, and I guess what we need to maybe unpack a little bit is, is that is that uh, that narrative actually correct? Um, I'd argue maybe it, maybe it's not. The, the good mark will get you into a university course. Yes, but does that the university get course get you the job? Well, Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do, it right? It depends we're, how we're, you're transformed in that course. And I think that's our role. If, if you're at university for three or four years, which is the shortest stint that you do in any education yep. institution, you've got to transform so much in those three or four years from a rote learner, which so many new entrants into our course are, because mm-hmm. they've the whole life. That's what been, you're taught, right? Yeah. yeah. That's how, the way the whole school well, go, go is Go back to primary school. What's, yeah. what's three times four? You don't have to 
work that out on your fingers, you know it's 12 because yeah. you've learned that through your times tables. Mm-hmm. And back then and right the way through, it's about rote learning. Rote learning so you can do well on that exam at the end of the year and then after the exam at the end of the year, some of it will be retained, but a large majority of what you've rote learnt was only there in short-term memory. It'll be gone. Mm-hmm. Education has changed with the introduction of, well, with the with the pr- proliferation of technology. Mm-hmm. Some things that are really, uh, I guess, challenging the way students learn are short attention spans, um, having secondary devices or tertiary devices. I mean, tertiary, not as in the pun, um, as in like <laughs> you've got a laptop open and a phone and you're watching a lecture screen. Multi-screening. Um, yeah. So... So that kind of thing's happening. Um, we have strange methods of assessment, like exams, like we've spoken about. Like, there's there's all these really strange, conflicting things that are happening uh, in in the education system right now, and particularly for universities when people are young adults, they have it's really their first taste of freedom when they're you know eighteen or nineteen and um, starting to you know drink and go out and and all that kind of thing. How has all of these shifts that are happening today and probably over the last 10 years in terms of technology conflicting with this system, which is still really a reflection of, you know, the, the 17 or not the 1700s, the, the 700s or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. How, how, how we're bashing these two eras into each other. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you, you spoke about a few things there. There's the um, technology is, is a huge driver. And I think that is the big one. That's the big issue that is is going to force universities to change. Um, you mentioned short attention spans. This isn't anything new. Um, we talk about attention spans now are shorter than ever before. No, they're not. I mean, I've I was actually I've got a little book here which I, I'm just uh, showing showing Adam right mm. now. It's titled "What's the Use of Lectures." Um, and Donald Bly wrote this in 1971. What were you doing in 1971, Adam? Uh, I wasn't <laughs> conceived in, yet in 1971. No, no but... Uh, that what? book looks like it's from 1971. It's got the, the yellow pages and uh, it's, was, been, it's been well loved. It's an old library book. It was borrowed three times as well, as you can right. see. But <laughs> What's a library? <laughs> I'm serious. <What's> a... <laughs> More on that in a moment. <laughs> There's a really interesting little little thing in here about um, performance during a lecture without a break. And you see what's happening here. There's this decline in attention. Yep. Um, after sort of 20 minutes or so, people are no longer paying attention. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't anything new. It's uh, Maybe it's 10 minutes now rather than 20 minutes mm-hmm. because of the other distractions. But if you're sitting there focusing on a message, yes, after 15, 20 minutes, it's always been the case, you're going to drift off and think about other things. Okay, so you need to be refreshed and and uh, start again for another 20 minutes then. Mm-hmm. So the, the two-hour lecture, the bad ones drone on for two hours straight and don't work. The good ones, I don't think there are any good lectures anymore, but... The <laughs> Bold statement. But I, I just I use the the magic twenty minute mark there. But I mean, you, you watch TED talks. I'm sure mm-hmm. the the magic number there is that the average TED Eight, talk goes for eighteen, 18 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Because after that, people's attention spans are, are gone. Yep. So yes, we've we've got all these things now. But I, I think technology is one of the big things because other than attention, it's distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. 
you know that your your phone, your watch vibrates every every couple of minutes with the distraction of some sort, which is going to stop you from focusing on the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And can you multitask? No. no. People think they can. We're just really horrible single taskers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, even I mean, I've I've been listening to your podcasts um, since you started them last year, and um, yeah, I've I've often. As I'm listening to podcasts on the train, it's my commute is my podcast listening time. Mm-hmm. I also am playing words with friends and doing other things. But um, I often, after making a move with words with friends, I then go, "Hang on, I've uh, I've missed what they were just saying in that pod- podcast, and have to rewind thirty seconds yep. to 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 actually listen to what was said." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even a low level process like a move with words with friends, listening to a podcast, yeah, I struggle. Well, pulls you out of your context. Yeah. Right. So. Um, I guess that's a, a nice summary of how uh, the, the the different conflicting um, things for our attention and how technology is shifting is is really competing with this overall objective of educating people mm-hmm. and helping students through a, a transformation. So, I, I guess I wanted to kind of head head in a, the next direction of. Um, is university about preparing us for jobs or is it about something else? Because we're kind of dancing around this topic and I want to just like nail it right on the head and, and see what you think. I think it is about preparing people for jobs, but it's not the full preparation. Okay. You're not going to be a competent marketer on day one after graduating from a marketing degree. Mm-hmm. And I think that viewpoint conflicts with what students expect. I think you're right. Yeah. And that's maybe our fault for not setting expectations right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's, there are so many things that you can only learn once you're getting your hands dirty on the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we can ease that process and and the big push across not only marketing but all disciplines at, at multiple, most universities at the moment is work integrated learning. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing more and more institutions now with internships and um, and more of those industry links built into the course. Really important uh, part of 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 a course um, to ease that process. Now it's not going to solve it. You're not going to be a competent marketer on day one, even after doing an internship. Mm-hmm. But you're certainly going to be a small step closer to being competent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree, and and I did a number of internships uh, throughout my period of study, and mm-hmm. they were all unofficial. They weren't sponsored by the university. Um, I guess it was self driven, and I, I gained an enormous amount of benefit from that, both in terms of what I learned, um, getting something to put on the resume, yep. having a, a reference that I could refer to when I was actually applying for real jobs, mm. um, and also just demonstrating initiative and, and kind of signaling to the marketplace that I'm an enthusiastic, self-motivated person. So, mm. I, I got a lot of those benefits, but I, I think I'm kind of a little bit rare in that sense. Like, not many students are doing that. And that is so frustrating that students aren't doing that. I mean, there's we, we try to ease that process by having formal internships for yeah. those that don't have the initiative that you had. Um, but it's it's so many other things as well. It's it's just that the students that, that take on the voluntary side projects of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's just, I don't know, setting up a little online business of some sort on Fiverr or... Writing a blog, starting a podcast, whatever. 
all those sorts of things. That's what employers are looking for. Mm-hmm. And hey, all the students listening to this podcast now, and I'm sure there'll be many, take this advice. It's, it's not just about the stuff you learn to pass the exam at the end. It's all those other things that, and I think universities are a wonderful environment for you to actually do that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because quite seriously, how many hours a week when you were a student did you put into studying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> now you're, you're finished now, so you can be honest. <laughs> I not very many no. is the is the answer. Um, I didn't even come to all of my contact hours. Of course, I mean, there's three or four hours, three or four years of your life. Yeah, we have this luxury of this amazing spare time to yeah. do all these other things. Now, sure, you might be doing a bit of part time work. I'd love to go back to university, by the way. Just, yeah. So much time the 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 stress of um, deadlines and work pressures and stuff is not exi- I used to think that university assignment pressure was like the worst thing, uh-huh. but <laughs> real life work there's sucks. no ex- there's no extensions in real life work. No, sick. Yeah. <laughs> I've real, got the flu. I need an extension. Bad luck. Real work sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the the luxury of all that that time as a even as a full time student to be able to to work on side projects and build your networks and do hands on stuff mm-hmm. and build connections with industry and, and actually explore and do things that, that are directly relevant to your course of study, even if it's any course. So that is amazing advice. But how do we encourage people to do that? Because there's an old saying, what gets measured gets managed. Yep. Um, and what that's referring to is if you set KPIs for something uh, and, and measure and track how it's performing, then people will pay attention to it and do it. Mm. If we don't measure side projects, if we don't measure the the cultural experience of university or the personal development that people go through, if we don't have a KPI for that, if the only thing we're assessing people on is how they how well they did on on an exam, yeah, that's all they're going to care about. Yeah. So how do we measure these these other things? I think it's up to industry to actually be play a big role here. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not only employing or shortlisting and employing based on whether you've got a degree or not and the marks you got in that degree, but what other things have you done? And I, I know industry actually do this. Many employers will say, okay, you've got a degree, tick. Let's look at the other things that you've done. What voluntary work have you done? What, mm-hmm. what internships have you done? What side projects have you worked on? And that's great, but humans are inherently bad at long-term planning, yeah. right? <laughs> we, we, we satisfy our immediate needs and the immediate need is, Oh shit, my assignment's due in four days. Um, I was going to start a podcast, but I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to go have beer with my mates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we forget about the long term things, the, the personal brand, you know, personal brand development, the internship that I voluntarily go and do to get some experience because like that's three years away or two years away mm-hmm. or even one year away or even six months away. Yep. And like that can wait, but Really, I mean, it can, but it shouldn't wait. So I actually think, yes, I agree, the industry maybe needs to try and recognize these things better. But I think as a as an educational institution, maybe we need to hmm. uh, encourage students and remind them that industry is recognizing these things. Yes. And in some way, and I don't, don't know how it is, but some way measure and and almost assess people on mm. um on some of these extracurricular activities yeah. and i know in in your um one of your units digital marketing um, which is a great unit probably one of my favorite units um here at monash and i'm not just saying that because you're here um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite too yeah 
there's there's some kind of unconventional um, uh, assessment methods. Do you want to talk talk through a couple of those? Yeah, and in fact, since you study that unit, um, you'll probably remember students used to have or still do have a choice of assessment regimes. Yes. Okay, and so we we actually structured that to allow students to to play on their strengths to to think about their future and and then select assessment tasks that will direct them towards their future. So, for example, there's the the brand me assignment um, where they're effectively writing a digital marketing plan for themselves as the product. Mm -hmm. And and that's a lovely, authentic piece of assessment where students actually have to think about how they're going to be perceived by employers, Mm -hmm. analyse their own strengths and weaknesses through a little SWOT analysis on themselves, Mm -hmm. and then build a plan and start implementing it. Um, and okay, it starts with some basic stuff like a LinkedIn profile and a blog, and, and but this allows them to then say, okay, some of these side projects, the things we've just been talking about, might form part of their their portfolio that, mm-hmm. that they can use to build brand me. So those sorts of really practical, authentic assessment tasks, where they can apply the theory of digital marketing that we've been looking at throughout yep. the semester. Um, since, oh, that's you, a great one. since you took that unit, um, we've removed the exam as an option. Abolished. Gone. Gone. Because exams are as far as you can get from authentic assessment. Mm-hmm. And that's a trend you are going to see over the next, I'd like to say a few years, but it's probably going to be a few decades. <laughs> we're, we're, we're realistic. Yes. I think exams are, are really, they've had their day, particularly in, in some marketing courses, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. because they're just so far removed from the reality of what you're going to be doing as a marketer. Yep. How often do you sit in a room for two or three hours with a pen and a piece of paper answering a series of questions that could probably be Googled? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you Never. Exactly. At university, that's the only time you ever do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so exams, are they're part of that lecture, mm-hmm. tutorial, textbook, exam model that, that has right. to change. Yeah. So, so the brand me assignment, is there some other? Yeah, there's um, blog, uh, students blogging and look, blogging's been around for so long and often, often people say blogging, that's, that's an ancient technology, but just students having their own online presence mm-hmm. where they're reflecting, sharing thoughts, building community. Um, so the blog is a, a big part of the assessment there as well. Yep. Um, we have students making videos, um, mm-hmm. uh, where the purpose of the video is to instruct other students on a particular concept of some sort. Yep. Um, so there's more traditional reports as well and, and so on. Um, but, but really allowing students to choose from this suite of, of mm-hmm. assessment tasks that, that play to their strengths. And so that's great. There's there's kind of like a, a bit of a taste of how perhaps universities are going to shift in the future. And, hmm. um, you know, I, I think we've spoken a lot about a lot of the challenges that universities have at the moment. Um, and I did want to kind of shift a little bit more towards that solution mindset. Um, and we've, we've kind of touched on it just there. Mm-hmm. What else is Monash doing differently um, to, to educate students better? Yeah. Um I think one of the the big things is recognising, we spoke about the technology as a a huge driver before. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, students don't want to attend lectures. They don't want to be sitting in a big three, four hundred seat lecture theatre just hearing from some person down the front that they can barely see because it's such a big, big space. Um, A lot of universities over over the recent years have said, right, the solution is we're going to record all of those lectures. Yep. Uh, Which is actually 
adding to the problem. <laughs> because, I mean, the good lectures are interactive. They're not just a one-way content delivery, mm-hmm. reading. <laughs> Instead, yep. they're a, an interaction. But, of course, if it's recorded and universities are now mandating the recording of lectures, mm-hmm. then there's an incentive for a student to say, okay, alarm's gone off at 7 o'clock in the morning. I can stay in bed for an extra hour and then just listen to the recording or I can go and head into uni and sit in the lecture for two hours then come home again. Now, yep. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So, of course, numbers in lectures are uh, dwindling. And as a result, the whole experience for those that are there is its awful. Mm-hmm. Sitting in this huge space with 30 people. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say some lectures, the attendance is as low as 10% now. So, so that whole model of lecture tutorial has to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've been for a few years now um, pioneering the, the flipped classroom here at Monash where I've got rid of lectures altogether. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to create online resources, rather than have a recorded lecture, which is really designed for face-to-face delivery, yep. let's break that down into a number of smaller video-based um, lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a, a two-hour lecture. Instead of that, it becomes one hour of video content but maybe 10 separate little videos of six minutes each, mm-hmm. little modules um, with an activity of some sort after each video. Mm-hmm. So there's the content delivery happening in a way that's designed for the, the medium through which it's being delivered. And then we can increase the amount of face-to-face class time. Mm-hmm. So tutorials now, we call them workshops. Mm-hmm. There's no lecturing happening in those tutorials. It's all about solving problems. Here's a real-world problem. Apply the theory from the lesson you've learnt before you came to class, to this problem, solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, a, a lovely way of, of flipping things around. Students are doing the work at home individually, then in a group situation, that's when they're applying it. And doing it in a group, that's going to develop the communication skills, the teamwork skills, the networking, mm-hmm. connections with others, all mm-hmm. those softer things that you get out of a course. Um, and, and, that, and that's great. What? Uh, how do you see this evolving over over the next few years? Um, and what new technology can universities start to look at, maybe in the next five to ten years, even, mm. to make it more engaging? It's really interesting. I mean, I was I've loved technology in education. I mean, I I remember back in two thousand and five, late two thousand and five, um, commuting to and from from uni sitting on the train and seeing my students and other students there with, uh, with iPods, the, the, the white earphones in their ears. Yep. I, I think Apple only just released the, the iPod. Uh, what, what year was that? Only a f- few years before then? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, early 2000s, I think. So yeah. there's the, the, white, the white earphones. I was seeing them everywhere. And they have them still now. They just don't have cords attached to them anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they look like uh, those little uh, um, toothbrushes. Yeah, yeah, the toothbrush head. Yeah, <laughs> sticking out of your ear. Um, but I'm seeing this on the train. I thought, right, I want to get into those students' ears. Mm-hmm. This is time when they're commuting. They're not coming to my lectures, so let's let's get them while they're on the train. So I thought podcasting is going to be. And podcasting was only starting off in 2005. Mm-hmm. I think it was the the. Which dictionary is it that has the word of the year every year? The Oxford or... Oh, I think they all have yeah. their own ones yeah, now. But but podcasting yeah. was the, the word of the year in 2005 and I was, right. I was just discovering it and starting to listen to a few podcasts yep. myself. I thought, right, I can do this. In 2006, I launched a, a podcast, which was basically a summary of the stuff that students were meant to be learning. So they could 
use their downtime uh, to listen. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started with the technology and I've just really embraced it since then. There's the, the inner geek in me mm-hmm. came out back then, mm-hmm. one of the earliest podcasts. And the, the, the Marketing Today podcast, I think you can still find old episodes on, on iTunes if you look yep. for it. Yep. Um, but over recent years, I've shifted. I've shifted a long way back to away from the technology. Technology for the pre-class stuff, absolutely. The, all the YouTube video content. Mm-hmm. But then when students are here, face-to-face, solving problems in a group. It's not about technology at all. It's about interaction with others. Mm-hmm. That deeper learning happens when you're actually sitting there talking to other people. Sort of stuff. Why did you go to the States last year? Um, <laughs> to talk to others, to yeah. learn through those conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. And in many cases, it was it was talking to experts, but in other cases, just the mere fact that you're reflecting and thinking and, and sharing that with others. Mm-hmm. That's when learning happens. You learn really deeply. So having those small group activities where students are solving problems across a a table, getting rid of those rectangular tables where the classroom looks like an Excel spreadsheet Mm -hmm. and replacing them with round tables where students are facing each other so they can collaborate and Uh solve problems. So they're the sorts of things that Monash is doing differently. We're actually changing the spaces. Yeah, there's a lot of technology going into those spaces as well. But ultimately, it's about getting students to solve problems together. We're seeing huge success from that. Mm-hmm. But that only works if we stop thinking ourselves as content deliverers. Mm. Mm. So I want to try something a little bit differently uh, this episode. I put the call out for some listener-submitted questions, and it's the first time I'm doing this, and I think I've got some really, really fascinating and interesting uh, responses. So I'm going to throw you in the deep end as the test subject for the first, uh, let's call it the crowdsource podcast. Oh, um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I want to ask you a few of those, those questions today. So... Um, the first one is from Max Jaffrey, my brother. Uh, <laughs> Something is your brother. He actually, he actually had a really interesting question. He said that nobody really thinks about what their professor studied. Um, everyone just thinks that they're really smart and have unlimited knowledge. <laughs> how so, Wags? How did you find going through um, your study when when you're a student? And also, follow on to that is why did you choose the the, the major um, area of study that you did choose? I think it chose me rather than me choosing it. I, okay. I've got a very interesting background. Um, I, I'm an example of, of, I think, one of the failings of the secondary school system, mm-hmm. which is all about you You head down this pathway at secondary school, so, and I was a math science kid at, at school. So physics, chemistry, the two maths yep. in year 12, and... And did really well in year twelve, and um, and got a really great uh, great result. Um, and the careers advisor at school said, "Right, math, science, you're going to go and study engineering. You've mm-hmm. got the marks for it. That's mm-hmm. the course you have to do." Okay, <laughs> I'm an obedient little uh, year twelve student. I'll yep. do exactly what I'm told. Yep. And I had just had the marks to get into that course. I didn't want to waste those marks and do something that was had a, a lower cutoff score. Mm-hmm. Because you don't get change for the unused marks. Yeah. <laughs> so I was straight into engineering and, and first year sort of went, went really well, but, um, the inner geek in me loved first year, didn't work, learned how to drink, all yeah. that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but then hit second year and suddenly thought, where the hell am I heading? What the hell am I doing? Yeah. And, and from there I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to bail for a while. 
and I deferred and went out and worked and um, and got a job in an office and suddenly started to learn about business and I suddenly thought, wow, this is great. Um, I never looked back and I then started studying part-time uh, a marketing course, started a, a TAFE course. Mm-hmm. Thought, no, this is Mickey Mouse stuff, let's get serious. So I enrolled in a university course Yep, here at Monash. Right. Yeah, and just went from there. Okay. Um, so from from and I guess that in a geek the the math science geek is still there. Oh, it definitely that, is, and that's probably driven my passion for technology as yeah. well. I guess and yeah. and coding, which I think is 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 important, all those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. but um, but then I guess making the move, and I, I worked in the industry for quite a few years before I started doing a bit of part time teaching, mm-hmm. and I suddenly thought, hey, wow, this is even better. Mm-hmm. Loving the the whole interaction with students and and seeing them learn and grow and and just did more and more teaching, less and less work in industry, and just gradually made that shift. Mm-hmm. So, How did you work mainly the printing industry. Okay, I've gone from from <laughs> the second oldest industry to the first oldest industry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So lots of, and look, the printing industry, another classic example of an industry that's that's dying or. Or certainly changing a lot as a result of technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we primarily we printed business forms, right? And so that side of the printing industry totally dead now. Mm-hmm. You don't have uh, business forms anymore. No, <laughs> this was no. Before, before the days of the personal computer and uh-huh. small business. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so interesting shift from engineer to marketer to educator. Mm-hmm. It's really, and I've never asked you that before. So yeah. it's uh, okay. Thank you. For, for that summary. But having said that, I mean, your question, Max, thanks, Max, um, you actually asked about this perception that professors have unlimited knowledge. I've, I've never put myself up as, as the font of all knowledge in anything I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm the facil- facilitator of, of students, oh, I'm going to use the word exploring. Mm-hmm. I think I have to encourage students to explore and, and be prepared to take chances and know where to find the knowledge themselves. Do you think that's a rare attitude for a uh, somebody who works in education such as yourself? Professional educators, I think this is a very common way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's one of the other flaws of the education system, and you spoke about KPIs before. Many educational institutions, the KPI for a an academic is research output. Mm-hmm. Okay, so their number one thing that drives them is writing that next journal article, getting published in a top A-star journal, mm-hmm. and teaching just happens to be one of those annoying things that happens on the side. Right. Yeah. Um, and as a student, you know when you're dealing with a, a lecturer like that versus a lecturer yes. who's a, a passionate educator. So hmm. why – and, and – Maybe this is going back to the, the start of our conversation about how maybe some of the university system is broken, but why do in educational institutions permit that to happen? Shouldn't you just, if, if you want smart people who are great at writing journal articles, just let them write journal articles and don't force them to teach and let the professional educators such as yourself who love helping take students on a journey and of self-discovery and, um, and, and, and kind of taking them through that, that, um, that growth, I suppose, let them do that. And specialisation is, and that is one of the changes that we're seeing at universities, where there is now more specialisation. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge as an educator in marketing, I've got to keep up with the latest research in marketing. Of course. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to be producing all of that knowledge. Yeah. 
but attending the conferences, mixing with the professors in the department that actually have that expertise is, is a critical part of it. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, I'm in an education-focused role now where I can do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have others that are research-focused that are able to do that. So this specialisation is actually now occurring. I think universities are, are now respecting that. So, so I hope that answers your question, Max. So that's a really nice segue to uh, a question from Matt Bell, who is also a Monash um, alumni. Um, and he asked... What should the balance between book learning and industry-based learning look like um, to prepare students for the real world? And uh, maybe what he also referenced in in regard to this was, um, you know, reading journal articles and that kind of thing. And does that actually contribute to real-life skills that you can apply to your your professional um, working job? Yeah. Interesting, uh, Matt used the, the phrase book learning, I think you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm certainly not a fan of book learning. I mean, I, I'm and that's apparent from today. Yeah. But it still happens at universities. And I think it still will for a while to come. So. And, and I, I think there's some core foundation knowledge that maybe that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. A lot of first-year subjects where you're learning the, the foundations of, of accounting or management or marketing or whatever it might be. Maybe there's a, a need for that. But I think as you progress through your course... Much more of that industry, industry-based learning or authentic learning, um, needs to be coming into, into what you study. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love this phrase, book learning. I, I, um, a couple of years ago, I was teaching a, a postgrad unit on social media marketing and bef- I was preparing for the semester. And I thought, let's just have a look at what books are out there on social media marketing. And so I spoke to all the publishers and so on and, and got sample copies of all these books on social media marketing, up-to-the-minute books on social media marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know much about timelines in the publishing industry, but um, but typically... they're quite long. They are. And it's it's potentially... It's, you're very lucky if you can get something that's that's even 12 months old in a book. Typically, right. it's two years from the time it's written before yep. it's ink on paper. Um, it's it's frighteningly long lead time. Um, so, I remember listening to one of your guests on another podcast that, that spoke about um, MySpace was was in digital marketing. I think that was the same one with Lee Price. Yeah, yeah. and and classic example of of the problem with book learning. Mm-hmm. What's my that, MySpace is in the same category of my memory as uh, library. Libraries <laughs> <Yes. laughs> well, aren't about books anymore. Yeah. In fact, we've just renovated our library. It's, yeah. it's opening this year, 2017, the, yeah. the new library, and it's not about books at all. Right. It's about study spaces and technology. As it and, should be. Yeah, absolutely yep. it should. It, it will be the, the hub of, of the campus. So, yeah, it's back, back with that uh, social media marketing unit. I said to the students, none of the books were, were any good. So mm-hmm. week one, there I am with my 40 new students. And I said, right, looked at all the books. They're all useless. They're all out of date. This is social media marketing. Things have changed a lot over the last two years. Yep. So you guys, the 40 of you, you're going to write the book. That's your one piece of assessment for the semester. Together, 40 of you. So I opened up a wiki and it wasn't dividing it up into chapters for each group. It was you are all writing the entire book together. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with... I'm showing Adam the book now, a single book, 40 authors, that was their assessment for, for the semester. You wow. can keep that book if you'd like, Adam. <laughs> this is the sound of a paper a paper book 
to me, that is, great. that is what learning is all about. The social edge, getting the most out of social media for your business. So 40 students were the authors of that book. And I can tell you, every one of those 40 students understood every word in that book by the end of semester. And we actually... I originally that's, wasn't going to print amazing. it. That's wasn't going to print it originally. It was just going to be a wiki which they then have ongoing access yep. to. And as as the semester progressed, I thought, hey, we've actually got some great content here. Mm-hmm. So I actually went to uh, Lulu.com. It's yep. basically an on-demand printing, mm-hmm. and it cost ten dollars each to print. So I spoke to the the union and said, hey, give me uh, four hundred bucks. I want to want to print forty of these books. And mm-hmm. they said, yeah, no problems. So week twelve, final week of of semester, handed all the students a, a copy of the book they wrote. And to me, that's that, amazing. Amazing. That, is, that is book learning, <laughs> where students are actually collaborating, working together on something actually quite authentic, because yeah. they're creating their own knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's all referenced, of course, but it's that's where we should be heading. Yeah, and, and I think this progressive mindset that you're kind of spearheading here within Monash University with, with some of your colleagues is really what the education industry needs, yeah. um, and there are some some relics of educators and and um, and uh, professors that uh, are probably holding the the industry back, um, but it, it's great that we're seeing people um, and, and organisations driving us forward because yeah. we need it, absolutely, it, and it's not a choice. We no. have to do this. Yep. So that's that's really impressive, and and thank you for the book. Mm. Um, the the next one, and this is a really nice dovetail, and also another ex Monash student, uh, Zach Martin, um, and Zach asked. I think he said, I think there's a really interesting challenge in how you educate students on digital, given how quickly it moves. How do you teach digital principles that don't become obsolete? And then the follow-on is, what are those digital principles? And really, to sum up Zach's question, how do you keep up with um, an industry that is shifting faster than you can write um, material for? Oh, once again, I, I'm I'm actually not writing the material. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the one writing the material. I want students to explore and find the material themselves. Let me come back a step, though. Yes, I teach a unit called digital marketing. My view is that we actually shouldn't have a unit called digital marketing in our course. Mm-hmm. It's just marketing. Mm-hmm. And we should actually have a digital context across everything else. So, yep. yes, digital is driving change in marketing. So... Consumer behavior, channels, pricing, all those sorts of things are changing as a result of digital. But let's teach the digital stuff in the consumer behavior subject, in the channel subject, in the product design subject and Mm -hmm. brand management subject. Digital then isn't necessary as a standalone unit. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, to answer Zach's question, what are the principles of digital marketing? Well, it's, yeah, the principles aren't here is how to do SEO in 2017 or here is how to advertise on Facebook in 2017. I think the principles are are bigger principles associated with the digital economy and the way the digital economy is different to traditional economies and as a result of that, how we have to think differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the those digital principles, they're really fundamental things they're actually not hands-on practical things mm-hmm. yeah you're going to learn those hands-on practical th- things through your side projects as you did that's why you're podcasting today mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 also when you get your first job yeah because every job has a specific way of doing things and one company is different to the other so you of need course. to learn how to 
do it their way. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, digital has changed marketing communications, for example. Marketing communications, you've worked in that industry yourself for a long time, and mm-hmm. okay, marketing communications primarily used to be one-to-many. Mm-hmm. And it's we've seen this shift as a result of digital to one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Also seen a shift many-to-many mm-hmm. consumers communicating with other consumers. Yep. So I think they're the principles that we need to understand, mm-hmm. not the hands-on, here is how to advertise on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Understand that the nature of communication is changing. Now, how are you going to apply that in 2017? Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, when you're in your first job, you'll mm-hmm. apply it very differently, mm-hmm. but the principles will be the same. So it's talking about uh, looking into the future, um, and this is a question from Paul Ramondo, um, who is also a, a mate alumni um, from a, a few episodes ago. Um, and Paul asks, how do you see future uh, content or curriculums um, facilitating practical skills for the workforce in 2020? 2020. Yeah, students starting this year will exactly. be hitting the workforce in 2020. Yeah. Great question, Paul. And I, I think to answer your question, I've probably answered a lot of that already in terms of it's not so much about the content or the curriculum. I think it's more about the um, those softer skills, the the mindset, um, encouraging students, the the employees of twenty twenty to to recognise that it's not about just passing an exam. It's about being active learners and and curious explorers being prepared to to tap into the knowledge that's out there already mm-hmm. i don't set the curriculum the curriculum set by the information on that uh, device in your pocket mm-hmm. we just want our students to be at least um <laughs> literate and being able to understand what's the good quality information and what's not mm-hmm. which are the facts and which are the alternative facts <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, nice little political reference there <laughs> and 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 really, it, it's about the softer skills. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've probably answered the rest of Paul's I, question I with agree. other things I've said today. So, yeah. talking about specific skills, um, Will Egan wanted to know, do marketers need to know how to code? How to code. Yeah. And I, I loved the uh, the episode where you interviewed Will. Um, he's, I loved- a, he's a mate alumni and a Monash alumni. Absolutely. I remember Will from quite a few years ago now, and I love what he's doing with Code the Future and, yes. and so on. Um I I applaud the the government's recent announcement that that coding is now going to be compulsory for students at primary school and secondary school mm-hmm. because yes I believe that I mean I think Will's question was do marketers need to know basic code I think everyone needs to mm-hmm. just understanding that that logical structure that that drives those devices that we are all using every day yep is absolutely critical now we don't all have to be expert programmers but being able to understand the very basics. And it's, okay, the, the inner geek in me, I did a bit of Fortran programming back in engineering and uh, self-taught basic before that when I was mm-hmm. at secondary school and MS basic, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think having that understanding as to what drives those devices makes you a, a much wiser. A bit more worldly, right? Like you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, it helps with, with other things in your life. I mean, in, technology is now part of everyone's life. Mm-hmm. But, but I was reading an interesting article just the other day about um, 
uh, Amazon Alexa. Mm-hmm. Sorry, if you've got this on speaker, your Alexa's probably just answered. <laughs> uh, um, but um, how the way the Amazon Alexa is working right now is very similar to MS-DOS. It has a very limited range of commands. Yep. You have to learn those commands to have Alexa do what you want her yes. to do. Um, so it's very similar to those days back in the, uh, the 70s and 80s when I was playing with MS-DOS, mm-hmm. driving this computer. And, and I think teaching your Amazon Alexa how to perform certain things is actually a bit of soft coding. Mm-hmm. But I'd love it if people understood the basics, yeah, really um, one level further down. Get your hands dirty. It's not going to do any harm at all. And unfortunately, it's it's not not part of all university courses yet. But uh, I'm certainly going to be encouraging my students in digital marketing to get their hands dirty and do a bit of coding mm-hmm. on the side. It's not a piece of assessment, but those wise ones that are prepared to to go beyond the basics will be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yes, we'll keep pushing that message. I love it. We'll get you in as a guest speaker in digital marketing too, Will, if you're listening. So a couple of challenging questions to kind of round it out. Um, Wags, this one comes from Saul Flores. And Saul asks, over the course of history, many dangerous ideas have been embraced by academics and taught in schools. What is the most dangerous idea being taught today? Oh, that's a massive question. I, I I could um, I could head down a very political line here if I wanted to, but I I'm going to be consistent with um, I'm going to be consistent with my um, my views of education, my educational philosophy that mm-hmm. I think has shone through in this discussion, and that is any idea that is being taught as here are the facts, this is what you have to learn. I think is a dangerous idea. I prefer to see alternative ideas presented so students are then able to become critical and assess each of those ideas and decide themselves what is correct. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the – I'm probably even not answering the question there. Uh, Saul is probably um, asking the same question that that I'm answering here. uh And, uh, I mean, a good example, I was was listening to um, the podcast just – just the other week, um, Bryony Cole's new podcast mm-hmm. on the future of sex, mm-hmm. um, where she spoke about the um, the teaching of abstinence-only sex in some of the states in the US, I think Texas, yep. where 92% of sex education is about don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lovely example of a really dangerous idea. Mm-hmm. I prefer to see education, the educators there saying, here are a number of views on on sex, and some believe in abstinence, others believe in exploration and so on. You guys, go and do some research and critique it and come up with your own ideas. Go and experiment and come back to us. Explore. (laughs) (laughs) A practical assessment. Not necessarily (laughs) hands-on. But but I think, yeah, a dangerous idea is here are the facts and this is the only way of doing it because, yeah, as we know, there are facts and there are facts. Yes. Don't worry, I can edit that bit out later, by the way. (laughs) Um, I don't think you need to. No. <laughs> uh, and and uh, the next question I wanted to ask, and this one comes from Dan Sparks, and this is one of my favourite ones. Uh, 
There was a famous series of lectures called The Last Lectures, um, and there's oh, one yes, on YouTube called Randy Porsche. Um, and it, it was about what a lecturer would give if it was their last lecture before they passed away. Mm. So, Wags, what would your last lecture be? I actually remember that one. I, I'm going to tear up here because I actually did tear up when I, I remember watching Randy's lecture. It's a, it's a it must magnificent. Have been, must have been about work. a decade ago, I reckon. Yeah. It was a computer science lecture, I think. And I think so. Yeah. He was diagnosed with cancer. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll put the link in the uh, show notes. Um, I watched a little bit of it today uh, in preparation for this. But yeah, I remember watching it all those years ago and I, I did literally tear up as I, as I watched it a decade ago. And, but, um, that's an awful question because I, I, I never want to have to give a last lecture. In fact, I don't give lectures. I don't give lectures anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think get the question. Like. Okay, <laughs> what would my last lecture be? I think my last lecture would. Or what be lesson that, would you want to impart? My lesson would be that I think that students have to take control of their own learning. I would. I would want my message to empower students to take control, to become independent, and to recognise that. It's not about what they are told they have to learn. It's about them being empowered to explore, to to use this wealth of information that's at everyone's fingertips now rather than just listen to the one person. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting response, isn't it? Because it's not about listen to this content. It's mm-hmm. about listen to this approach. It's about don't listen to this content. Yeah. It's about go and figure it out yourself in a way. It's actually quite ironic because yeah. it's, it's the last lecture wouldn't, would be anti-lecture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quite literally the last lecture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that'd be a wonderful way for, okay, that's, and, and at that point, all universities would demolish their lecture theaters. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with I'd that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> uh, okay. Great. I love it. I love it. So, Ags, what's exciting you right now? Oh, I, I'm probably going to give a geeky answer here. And I, the inner geek is going to say that it's all the, the artificial intelligence and uh, Internet of Things and the revival of podcasting and all sorts of other things like that. But probably of all the geeky things, probably the thing that's exciting me most is this is, is probably the, the geek educator answering here, and that is big data and how that leads to this massive field of what we call learning analytics. Um, Now that we've dumped the lecture theatre, we've got students online, the massive data that that we are developing here and we can then predict, this predictive analytics to look at student behaviours and how that leads to learning outcomes and so on. So you're saying uh, on the online portal where students go and watch the 10 six-minute videos in preparation for this week's, um, what did you call it before, uh, a workshop, workshop. Yep. to prepare for the workshop, you can you can look at uh, the analytics behind, and maybe it's not on an individual level, but it's at an aggregate. It, is at, it who, is at an individual level. Okay, right. So <laughs> students who uh, actually complete the tasks and watch the video and do the practice questions and all that kind of stuff, that leads to a particular mark at the end of the year. Um, or you well, can predict what mark they might get. That's a very get. simplistic view that you've just okay. described there because it's. I, I don't think it's as simple as if a student does this, 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 and this, then they'll get a full mark. And mm-hmm. if they do part of it, they get a partial mark. No, it's looking at their behaviours. And maybe 
completing only 75% or just dipping into them every now and then on an irregular basis might be a better way for them to learn. Mm -hmm. So, and big data is all about looking at what is happening through the data and then drawing conclusions from that. Okay, so, and that is actually a really exciting field mm. where we can actually do it right down to individual student, student level. Have you got any, um, any results or kind of insights that you mm. can, you can share from, from the, your initial? And, and probably one, one of the big, big insights that, and I've been doing this for a few years now, and I, if, if any of the students that have received one of these emails from me is listening, then, um, hi. <laughs> uh, four weeks into semester, looking at that data, we can actually say, okay, here are some students that are at risk because we can look at previous semesters and students that behaved in a certain way in those first four weeks of semester mm-hmm. ended up dropping out or failing or, or other, other things. So we can take that data, model it into this semester and say, right, four weeks in, Let's have a look at those who are at risk based on prior data that has shown that they are at risk. So the behaviours are things like they've logged in once or they've completed no tasks or, you yeah. know, they're or even, inactive even, or dormant. Even or, finer, time on task. So right. they're, they're logging in, but they're skipping through stuff more quickly. Right. Okay, so they're clicking on the video, they're, they're watching it, but then they're, the audience retention data is showing that they're, they're dropping off and, mm-hmm. and moving on to the next one before time or yeah, those sorts of behaviours, quite, quite detailed behaviours. Yep. So we can flag them as at risk and shoot a personalised email out to them, mm-hmm. saying, hey, noticed you're doing these things. Mm-hmm. You are at risk based on that behaviour. Mm-hmm. Come and have a chat with me. Is there something we don't know about? Can we help you? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there, that is brilliant that we're now able to use that data mm-hmm. to, to hopefully change behaviour and prevent those, those failures from happening. Yeah. yeah. And that is actually, that's incredibly exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I can see why you're excited about that. And you could never have done that with a big lecture theatre. Or a book. Or a book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay. So, some of the technology we have can actually be used for good. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's probably a number of students, if they're listening to this now, thinking, oh, my God, I'm being watched that closely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only doing this for your own good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to see people pass, not fail. Yeah. So, Wags, what's pissing you off right now? Not much. <laughs> Not much. I probably getting back to some of the things I've spoken about. Maybe student expectations. Here we are. I'm, we're actually about to start a new year, and I've I've got two subjects I'm teaching: digital marketing, which is the tail end sort of final year students, and first year marketing as well. Mm-hmm. And okay, it doesn't piss me off, but it does annoy me a little bit that there's this whole new batch of students coming into the university with these expectations that I have to shift. And I'd love it if if secondary schools and the careers teachers out there were able to go beyond the year 12 exam and prepare students for this pathway, this journey that we take them on in their three or four years here. Um, it's hard work for us to, to shift in, in the time that we have students. Mm. Is that not passing the blame a little bit, given that universities have contributed to this problem? Absolutely. Yeah. I, we can't really pass the buck to industry or to secondary schools oh, and no, say universities are a large part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, even even my colleagues from other departments that are still using lecture tutorial textbook exam, students come from that class straight across to ours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's my colleagues as well. Right. Yeah. So this 
student expectation is pissing me off and that student expectation is driven by so many other forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to, to kind of... But let's let's wind back. It's not really pissing me off. It's, it's the biggest challenge that I'm facing. Yeah. So to kind of go full circle to where we started this discussion and it might be a nice note to kind of round, round it out at, how do we do that? Because... There's, like you said before, there's lecturers that, that are still using the same traditional model and the same methods of assessment, and it's great that you are getting uh, students to write their own textbooks. It's great that you're um, getting them to do a, a brand me assignment and abolishing exams, but you're one man within one organisation. There's so others. How, okay, so but how do we how do we how do we fix this industry? It's it's happening. It, it's taking time, but it is happening. I mean, students are voting with their feet. They're not going to lectures. They're at the end of every semester. They're evaluating evaluating the quality of the units that they're studying. Um, that's my KPI: the student evaluations. Mm-hmm. It's one of them. Um, looking at the changes we're we're making, and, and students are telling others. It's uh, the the shift is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's going to take time. Yeah. We're in massive bureaucracies. The whole education system is a big bureaucracy that just takes time to change. And, and I'm very excited about the direction it's heading. Yep. But I do worry that it's going to take too long because Me too. things like online learning, uh, where you can consume your own content for free, you can yep. go and, you know, watch MIT lectures or whatever and learn, mm. learn things yourself in your own time, in your own space, in your own method. Yep. Um, or organizations like General Assembly that just run short courses for, I don't know, $1,000 and you can <laughs> learn your social media marketing or you can learn how to code or you can learn how to be a designer or whatever. Um, and I think those kinds of things are going to, really start to cannibalise the traditional universities in terms of um, actually imparting usable knowledge. In terms of the content and the curriculum, yes, I Mm -hmm. agree with you. In terms of those soft skills, those additional mindsets, I think universities still have a a huge advantage there and we need to be able to make our curriculum and content relevant, Mm -hmm. connecting it to those soft skills. Yep. And there will there will always be a place for universities, but but I think they actually work together. I, I encourage my students to go and 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 do those online certifications yeah. and, and and learn those 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 other more practical skills. That's part of the the site project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the irony is wags that uh, universities um, and in a marketing role um, and on a marketing podcast. I think the irony is that universities have a branding problem. Yes. Um, and that's a marketing challenge and a communication challenge. We have to shift expectations of the university's customers, the students. Yes, agreed. Huge challenge. But I, I think we're heading in the right direction. Maybe not quite fast enough. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, it's, I, 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 maybe I've been a bit outspoken in this discussion and uh, I'm in an industry where freedom of speech is actually encouraged. And uh-huh. I, I want my colleagues to be listening to this and, um, and rising to the challenge. Yeah, because there's many of us doing it, but many yep. that aren't yet, and they need to move. They yep. need to change the way they're doing things. Well, I'm excited about where things are heading. So, <laughs> congratulations on uh, on being a part of that, and uh, I look forward to seeing what the future holds. Thanks, Adam. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Mate. 
If you are a university student and you're listening to this right now, I would love if you could send me an email. Um, my email address is adam at matepodcast.com. And uh, I'd just love to hear your feedback about what you thought of this episode um, or any others that you've listened to. Uh, so, please, uh, please send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I also want to thank Wags for your support of my podcast and all of my other adventures through life, but also for coming on the show today and for having such an interesting and candid conversation about some of the big issues um, that universities are facing today. Thank you. This episode was edited by Josh Armour from Armapod Productions. The Mate logo is created by Courtney Carmen, and the music is by Nine Inch Nails used under a Creative Commons license. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Um, I, I spent a lot of time and, uh, and effort and passion and money on producing this show. Um, it is made with love in Melbourne, Australia. That's my hometown. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. Went for a long time. Yeah, we, we did kind of go over, how do we go for time? You're going to pay me for One this. One hour. <laughs> <laughs> the Apple Pay. I don't take any mix, sorry. It's 3% surcharge. <laughs> this will be the outtake. I was trying to um, unlock my phone and the uh, Apple Pay uh, opened up and Wags wanted me to pay him for his time. Uh, <laughs>